Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. Today's show focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV Newsroom. I'm Maya Sargent. And I'm David Escobar. And here are this week's feature stories. Every month on the What's What podcast, we bring you the FUV Sports Spotlight. In this month's installment, WFUV's Ryan Gregoire and Julia Moss talk with former Fordham quarterback Tim DeMorat, who signed with the Washington Commanders back in May. Demora talks about his journey to the NFL and some of his new goals for the upcoming season. You know, we've talked, you've been in the studio a few times, but just these last few months since you left the campus at Rose Hill, kind of walk us through what you were doing leading up to the draft. Yeah, so I graduated uh, Fordham in December and then kind of after that training in Fort Myers, kind of like pre-draft workouts and, you know, footwork, uh, pro day drills, all that sort of thing two all-star games, Hula Bowl and Shrine Bowl. So I got to, you know, show my talents in front of some NFL scouts doing that and then kind of met with some teams and just kind of had to wait and sit around for the draft and that whole weekend, which, you know, is obviously, you know, a long weekend, but happy with the way it worked out for sure. Huge uh, experience to to get that call from the commanders, I'm sure. You know, what were your first reactions when when you realized that the commanders wanted you? Yeah, it was, I was relieved, obviously, to get signed because, you know, it's a dream come true. Obviously, you wanted to get drafted and that didn't happen. But, you know, coming from a s- small school, I'm just grateful to get signed and have that opportunity, you know, work my hardest and do everything I can do to make a roster. But it was obviously a dream come true and exciting to know that, you know, you signed with an NFL team because it's, you know, something that I dreamt of doing my whole life. Now, you're somebody who's continued to defy the odds. I believe coming out of high school, Fordham was your only offer. Then you go undrafted. So what is it about that chip on your shoulder that you think potentially could drive you to continue to prove people wrong throughout the process? You know, it's definitely a little bit extra that drives you because I did only have one offer out of high school and then going undrafted. I feel like it kind of just, you know, never get complacent. As you, I can always have room to improve, obviously. How unique is this for, you know, QBs in the future who are looking at Fordham for you to be able to say like you can come to Fordham and then you can also make the NFL I want to hear your your take on that yeah definitely I mean it goes to show I think you know there's three guys in the NFL from Fordham right now so absolutely if you it doesn't matter where you play but especially Fordham it's division one football you can get a great education obviously being in New York City which is awesome and if you want to pursue the NFL you know, you have every possibility to do that. If you put your mind to it, you can achieve great success and, you know, have goals that go into the NFL, no doubt. That was WFUV's Ryan Gregoire and Julia Moss speaking with Tim DeMorat, former Fordham quarterback and future Washington commander. There's a new Taylor Swift exhibit at the Museum of Arts and Design at Columbus Circle. WFUV's Avery Loftus visited to see what it was all about. As soon as I get to the second floor of the Museum of Arts and Design, I'm surrounded by fans gazing at a giant flat screen playing the all-too-well short film that later cycles through other music videos like You Need to Calm Down. Glittering costume ensembles, flowy blouses, sparkling jewelry, and walls with handwritten lyrics from fan-favorite songs All Too Well and Tim McGraw are all part of the museum's new exhibit, Taylor Swift Storyteller. But behind the dazzling outfits and crowded lines, Museum of Arts and Design director Tim Rogers says the exhibition tells a deeper story about the pop star's songwriting. We recognized that she's doing more than just writing kind of catchy pop songs. 
She is truly writing stories, uh, little epics that become transformed into pop songs. And in so doing, she's creating characters. Along with playing her own characters, Roger says that she is also directing and coordinating entire worlds behind the personas played out in her music videos and performances. One aspect of that is the costumes and how those costumes really help her create identities that are then being kind of worked out in the song itself. With about 50 different pieces of jewelry, props, and select red carpet looks along with costumes, the exhibit showcases signature pieces of each Taylor Swift era. The piano from the red all-too-well performance and the modern fearless flapper dress that strikes in golden thread on stage are just some of the most iconic symbols of her different personas. Museum attendee Jessica Reyes most enjoys the Reputation era. I think what I love is that it's almost like an extension of the music where she's very intentional about what she's wearing to represent each era and I think that's like iconic. No matter what Taylor Swift era you identify with, the Museum of Arts and Design has frozen pieces of her past show-stopping looks behind glass for anyone to see. I'm Avery Loftus with WFUV News. That was WFUV's Avery Loftus at the Taylor Swift Storyteller Exhibit at the Museum of Arts and Design at Columbus Circle. The display will be available through September 4th. This month, the WFUV Newsroom is highlighting advocacy groups trying to build a better New York City. WFUV's Jay Doherty reports on how Special Olympics International and Disabled in Action New York are working towards a revolution of inclusion for children and adults with disabilities. Special Olympics provides year-round sports training and athletic competitions for children and adults with intellectual disabilities. Its mission is to offer ongoing opportunities for these individuals to develop physical fitness, experience joy, and enrich friendships with their fellow athletes and families. People think of Special Olympics as a charity, and it is that. But what they don't often see is that it is also a movement, and it is a movement from people with intellectual disabilities. That's Timothy Shriver the chairman of Special Olympics International. His mother, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, established the inaugural Special Olympics, then called Camp Shriver, 55 years ago. Disabled people are not unable. Each and every person on our planet deserves a full and fair chance to make the very most of their own ability. Today, the movement has more than 5 million athletes in 193 countries. The goal is to offer the world hope in the face of adversity. Because the athletes have endured so much adversity, it reminds us that adversity doesn't have the last word. The movement doesn't just empower the athletes, it also can improve the mental health of the volunteers. We are here to offer you, the lonely, the frustrated, the disappointed, maybe even the despairing, come join us. We'll give you a reason to believe. While the Special Olympics World Games were just hosted in Berlin last month, here in New York City, there are other advocates hard at work. Jean Ryan is the president of Disabled in Action, a civil rights organization committed to ending discrimination against people with all disabilities. Like Shriver, Ryan says a movement of inclusion is crucial in achieving a brighter future for everyone with disabilities. Right now, we're working on access to City Hall. There's basic access to City Hall, but it's not good enough. So we're trying to get better access for people who are blind and people who have different kinds of disabilities. 
The fight doesn't stop at just access to local offices. Disabled residents may face challenges in performing basic civil duties due to the absence of elevators, ramps, and resources designed for individuals with visual impairments. Thanks to DIA and other organizations, Ryan says progress is being made. The polling places are now accessible because we and other organizations sued the city of New York to get accessible voting places so that everyone could vote in person if they want. Special Olympics and Disabled in Action see inclusion on the horizon as they advocate for dignity. The first step involves gaining a new perspective on those whom society often marginalizes. This includes individuals with intellectual disabilities who frequently exhibit remarkable kindness and tranquility within a world marked by chaos and confusion. I mean, I was at the opening ceremonies giving a speech and an athlete charged the stage. And you know what he did? He gave me a hug. And everybody's like, could you plan that? I'm like, no, I didn't plan that. I'm trying to give my little speech. And I'm thinking to myself, and, and this guy is the guy who's considered not normal? Are you kidding me? He's the normal one. The people killing each other, they're the not normal ones. Perhaps this perspective is what the world needs to move one step forward from indifference to advocacy. I'm Jay Doherty, WFUV News. That was WFUV's Jay Doherty reporting on how disability rights groups are advocating for inclusion in New York and beyond. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every Friday for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast. It explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area. And it includes features and interviews just like the ones you heard today, exclusively from FUV. You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm Maya Sargent. And I'm David Escobar. And that's What's What.